Hello, welcome to the Quest Podcasts. My name is Alan Mulhern. First of all, an announcement. Our last podcast, episode 27, was the first in an ongoing series with the title The Crisis of Our Times and focused on the economic and financial crisis, which is now unfolding concurrent with the pandemic emergency. I had anticipated giving a more detailed premium podcast to follow it, but I have postponed this now to a later date. The Quest's lecture cycle since 2015, and these podcasts since 2018, have argued that the 21st century is witnessing the emergence of numerous crises operating in a systemic, interconnected manner that is taking humanity to a critical and decisive juncture. These were not apparent in the period of the boom, but are now painfully obvious. Many only see the present pandemic and little else, but there are multiple crises immediately in front of us, These are unprecedented times. The quest explores great visionaries from across the ages, increasingly focusing on the emerging crises of our times. It encourages the exploration of a visionary response to these systemic global crises. A vision is not just a point of view or informed reasoning. It is a deep, sometimes overwhelming, insight preceded by extensive thought, emotion, frustration, and often suffering, when the greater psyche is ignited and breaks through the limiting, filtering, and repressive ego consciousness with visionary material. My vision was clarified in 2013, and this provided the material for the subsequent publication of The Sower and the Seed in 2015, which provided the basis for the Quest lecture series, which in turn is the basis of these podcasts. For those who want to study the immediate preparatory ground for this and coming podcasts, please refer to the previous podcast, Season 2, Episode 27, as well as Season 2, Episode 1, which was called The Search for Vision in the Evolving Crisis of Our Times, which was in February 9, 2019. Today's topic is The Moment of Truth which I will address briefly on a number of levels, collective, individual, moral and spiritual, and these will be taken up in forthcoming podcasts. This is not easy listening. Entertainment should be sought elsewhere. The world is now possessed by the COVID-19 pandemic. However, if it is probable that multiple crises will emerge in a systemic manner, then this is a prelude for coming events of enormous magnitude. We see in ourselves, our neighbours, our countries, the way we react to the crises, and this gives us an indication how we will react in the times to come. We should ask why some countries have low infection and death rates, while others have much higher. How important is the role of decisive and correct leadership in these matters? The structure of the state, Will authoritarian states be in a far better position to survive? Will democracies have the flexibility and speed to act decisively and quickly? Or will their openness and tendency to discuss and debate be fatal? Does a country have any reserves in preparation for such things? Is there advanced planning for crisis emergency? Why have so many warnings at the highest level been ignored concerning pandemics? 
what does this say about our leadership? The same applies to our economic and financial crisis, which many countries are facing from an enormously indebted position instead of having accumulated reserves in the boom periods. There has simply been no preparation, not even an awareness of the multiple crises that are to come, while there has been plenty of preparation in some countries for war. In the light of unfolding events, then our leaders and their parties in most countries have dismally failed. This will and should lead to huge political consequences. The pandemic as a general phenomenon has now to be added to our horsemen of the apocalypse, the great reckoning that is emerging in our times. It will now be understood very clearly by nations in conflict or by groups labelled as terrorists or by different religious groups who are fundamentally at war with one another that one does not have to send in invading armies to damage, cripple or even exterminate the supposed or real enemy. Pathogens, which include viruses, bacteria, fungi and parasites, of which there are already considerable arsenals, can be unleashed on the population and bring it to its knees very quickly and at small expense and do not readily reveal their creators. This, from now on, is one of the great ongoing dangers of the 21st century. Our style of life is now radically changing and will stay changed. We are also entering the first truly great global depression, GGD. Many economies are quickly experiencing a major collapse on a scale never witnessed before. The Great Depression of the 1930s only badly affected a few countries. The Great Financial Crisis, the GFC, of 2007-8 restricted global credit and liquidity, but was managed fairly rapidly. The emerging GGD is different because the policies of governments and central banks over the last decade have pushed trillions of dollars into the world economy, expanded world debt to 350% of global GDP, nailed interest rates to the floor, thus completely distorting the economy, and once again allowed a shadow banking system to flourish with all its dangers. Monetary policy has supported the booming stock market since 2010 and pumped the banks full of liquidity and cheap money, but the consequences of this are very costly and are now about to be paid with the tumbling stock markets and endangered financial system. The inherent fragility of the financial system shows how difficult it is to reform it in a partial fashion. Wholesale reform was avoided after the GFC in 2007-8, but surely this should be very high on any future agenda. Many governments of the developed world, faced with the threatened calamity, have virtually closed down their economies and committed themselves to enormous bailouts and support programmes. They have little choice, and of course are terrified of the social and political consequences if they do not. It is a dreadful position to be in, between such a rock and a hard place, and anybody engaged in this battle has my deep sympathies. But since almost all our governments have no savings, then this gigantic fiscal and monetary support programme will inevitably increase debt or engage in money creation. Stagflation will once again return that is, stagnation of output and inflation of prices. In addition, currency depreciations for many countries 
and some currency collapses can be expected. The strains upon the European Union will be enormous. The great fear is banking collapses. Governments are now not able to think of the long-term consequences of these actions, but are firefighting for their countries and their own survival. In far greater danger are the emerging economies of the world who have virtually no national health services and where social distancing is impossible, where overcrowding is rife and whose economic resources are minuscule. At this point in time, early April 2020, these countries have been the least hit, but the virus has started in virtually them all and the prospects are terrifying. But from the point of view of economics, one of the big lessons is surely that most countries are starting from a position of no savings and huge debts. This is a terrible place to start from. One of the big lessons for the future surely must be the great evil of debt and the virtue of national savings. By contrast, one of the most impressive lessons of economics that I learnt at an early age was from ancient history, actually, the Bible. Joseph was the youngest son of his family in Canaan. His brothers were jealous of him and threw him into a well, but then sold him to slavery in Egypt, where he was imprisoned and used to interpret the dream of his jailers. Now the pharaoh dreamt that he stood by the river, from which firstly seven heavy cows emerged, followed by seven lean ones, who proceeded to consume the seven heavy ones. And the pharaoh dreamt a second dream, in which seven good ears of corn were consumed by seven thin ears of corn. His spirit was troubled, says the book of Genesis, and he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, but there was none that could interpret the dream. Then Pharaoh called for Joseph, who interpreted it as follows. The dream of the Pharaoh is one. The seven good cattle and the seven fat ears of corn are seven years of plenty. And the seven thin cows and the seven thin ears of corn shall be seven years of famine. And he advised the Pharaoh to save the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, which should be a store against the seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh appointed Joseph to be a second in command and oversee this great enterprise. The book of Genesis continues, And for seven years Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea. And then came the seven years of dearth, which was in all the lands. But in the land of Egypt there was bread. What a simple lesson. Save in the good times so that you have the resources to survive in the bad. Anticipate the bad. Anticipate the crises to come. And plan for them. Well, for many people, that thrifty lesson is common sense. However, it is foreign to modern economics and the habits of most nations and many individuals in recent decades, where spending at rates which exceed greatly one's income have become common in the boom, but also in the slump. The result is simply disaster. Most economies in recent boom periods simply increase their debts. Now, as they hit a crisis, they have few or no resources and huge unpayable debts. 
This madness is supposed to be sound economics. There are some, again, notable exceptions to this. Norway, for example, has the greatest sovereign fund in the world of almost a trillion euros and saved in the good times, saved its oil wealth and therefore is better prepared to face the coming emergencies. But this goes beyond the matter of economics. During the boom, when one has resources and is strong, one should prepare for the difficult times ahead, put the structures in place for preparation. It is, in my opinion, a failure in leadership and an ignorance of history to assume that crisis events will not come. Many people do not want to hear of these multiple crises, especially now. But it is my experience that there is rarely a right time to take this crisis perspective on board. When times are good, the party goes on. When times are bad, create more debt to get out of it. The time never seems right to hear, realise and prepare for these crises. Yet this knowledge and preparation may be the only thing that can save us. The world has reached a turning point. Population levels are excessive. Nuclear arsenals are still of enormous danger to the species. CO2 levels are relentlessly rising despite all the climate conferences and talk. The earth is warming with all its immense dangers. Globalisation, which as we have seen with the COVID-19 virus, has its shadow effect since the virus travels as fast as a plane. Pandemics are therefore part of globalisation and are made possible globally by our modern style of life and interconnected economic system. Industrial and post-industrial societies, with their relentless economic machines, insatiable desire for growth and wealth, have driven the world at frightening and accelerating speed to the edge of a precipice. Financial systems have given fuel to the booms thus putting the world economy into extraordinary debt and enormous danger. A Great Depression is upon us. And the final point I mention is that our philosophies, especially our materialist and scientific ones, have produced a double-edged sword, amazing wealth, but an economic system that is essentially flawed, plus an enormously restricted view of the world and the universe, precisely when we need a renewed vision. I'm sure that it has not escaped your attention that some of the above problems, rising CO2 levels, excess populations, unremitting economic growth, globalisation, for example, have had an extraordinary response, not from ourselves, but as it were from the virus itself, which has stopped the economy in its tracks, prevented globalisation, reduced pollution and CO2 levels, and undoubtedly will reduce world population. The irony should not be lost on us that it seems as if we can't do this by our own volition, by our own intelligence, by our own policies, but it has been done to us by a virus. Moreover, in a more general sense, we have become far more aware in recent decades of the precariousness of our position as a species within the evolution we become aware of numerous mass extinction events in the past which have wiped out most species on the earth. Some believe, and I am among them, that we are in the middle of a sixth mass extinction event 
but this time caused by ourselves. We have become aware that the evolution of humanity was precarious, that there were times when we could have disappeared from the earth in our early history. And indeed, that is what we fear now. We've also become aware of the disappearance of civilizations. Arnold Toynbee, the great historian, and his book, The Study of History, studied numerous civilizations, most of which have become extinct. We fear the same will happen to ours now. The pandemic has punctured the boom and punctured our illusions and is a rehearsal for the times to come. The idea that we will return to business as usual is folly. This is a moment for survival preparation. Given the severity of the external situation and also the isolation that some countries have imposed upon their citizens, many people now have a possibility for more inner reflection, an examination of the inner world, reflection upon our lives. The outer world may be collapsing, but that is the most important time to strengthen the inner world. Historical comparisons are interesting. When Rome, the city which had taken the whole world, was itself taken and sacked in 410 AD, perhaps in its way comparable to what we are going through now, a messenger was sent to the monastery in Algeria where St Augustine resided. He was allegedly sweeping the floor. On being told the shocking news, the messenger asked what he would do now. Augustine replied he would continue sweeping the monastery floor. Such equanimity is probably exaggerated, but Augustine could tell a good story. The principle of holding your ground, your spiritual practice, your centre in the times of crisis is invaluable. Point taken. Thank you, Augustine. However, I suspect that he was also deeply shaken since his response was to write his famous book, The City of God. Later, reflecting upon this, he comments, quote, When Rome was devastated as a result of the invasions of the Goths under the leadership of Alaric, the worshippers of the many false gods began in their attempt to blame this devastation on the Christian religion, to insult the true God with more bitterness and sharpness than usual. Therefore, fired with a zeal for the house of God, I determined to write my book, City of God, against their lies and errors. When Rome was sacked, the world was shaken to its core. Many blamed the Christians for supposedly destroying the values and vigour of the Roman spirit. Exactly the same argument, actually, that Gibbon was to give in 1776 in his famous Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. The fact that the Visigoths, the invaders of Rome, were Christians themselves, also added to the rancour of those that accused the Christians. But Augustine was to powerfully argue the opposite. He maintained that Rome fell because of its moral bankruptcy, its lack of justice, the brutality at the heart of the empire, and that the Christian faith was totally consistent with good citizenship. Augustine was acutely aware of the moral, political and social disintegration of classical culture, 
that this civilization was at an end. Plato had written his famous book on this subject, The Republic, 700 years previously, in response to the crisis of the Athenian city-state, in which he hoped for a government that could be formed on rational principles. Augustine took the opposite position and passionately argued that the perfect city was only in heaven and that ultimately it mattered not that Rome fell. Christians should ultimately put their faith in another world, a position that they held throughout the Dark Ages and one can see its value in those times. What has this got to do with us today? I suggest that a position midway between the rationalism of Plato and the idealism and spiritual position of Augustine is needed on a global scale for the 21st century. It will be a rationalism and science that must provide answers to so many problems. For example, the climate crisis. Obviously, we need new energy sources. A reformed financial and corporate system that is fit for use in the 21st century instead of the grossly exploitative and unstable one we possess at present. Vaccines based upon our understanding of the appropriate genomes to confront pandemics, etc. etc. Reason and science are indispensable, of course, to our future. But a new spiritual vision is just as essential as a guiding value system in a new world. The Western scientific enlightenment from the 16th, 17th century onwards and its break from the religions of the past, its embrace of science as a way of understanding the world, amazing and creative though it has been, has left us bereft of guiding principles for the modern world. For example, we have no inherent ethics on how to treat the planet or animals. We believe that the earth and all its species are there simply to be ransacked for our needs and profit. We are dedicated to our own pleasures and egoistic, narcissistic needs and desires. We are completely blind or deny the crises of our own creation and which we are faced with now. Our economy lacks moral principles, an idea totally foreign to it. It has become increasingly dominated by private needs and has little conception of the public good. You may reply this was ever the case. But capitalism in the second half of the 19th century in Britain, America in the Great Depression of the 1930s, many countries after the Second World War, after 1945 and the establishment of welfare states, these were all periods of considerable reform, greater equality of wealth and a greater moral purpose than we have at present. While the profit motive is essential for the functioning of an economy, and therefore certain amounts of inequality are inevitable, the gross and increasing inequality that has been permitted in the last 40 years, since the ideology of free markets once again gripped the world, has not just been immoral, but tremendously dangerous for the stability of the system. This is to say nothing of the obscene bonuses and salaries of the managerial and banking elites, who so regularly ransack the system and their own companies for private gain. There are incidentally a few notable exceptions to this. Despite the clarity of the science of climate change and prescient and well-argued early warnings from scientists such as James Lovelock and numerous institutes, vested interests have, one could almost say criminally, denied 
repressed and maintained that there is no climate crisis. As if the rising CO2 levels measured all around the world have been invented. This denial is having awful consequences. Just as Augustine pointed to the moral bankruptcy of the Roman Empire, its lack of justice, ruthlessness and hypocrisy, so too we can point to a similar moral and now economic and financial bankruptcy of our system. Unlike Augustine, we can no longer look to some perfection in the afterlife as our real salvation. But we do need a moral and spiritual vision that embraces the planet and eco-spirituality that slows down and reorganises our out-of-control, immoral economic system. A vision that displaces the financial elites that have proved unfit for use and seek new parties with new vision, not only for ourselves and our countries, but for humanity. For we are in a globalised world. Vital to this process is the need for individuals to have their own inner anchor, their own moral compass and vision. This needs to be as encompassing and grand as the religions of the past. In fact, it needs to take the best from these spiritual and religious traditions and discard what is not useful or is positively dangerous. We need a renewed, fit-for-purpose, moral and spiritual vision of the 21st century that can both address the world crisis, the economic, political and financial systems and provide as well, inner guidance. The 21st century will not, in my view, have the gods or religions of the past, unless they are radically reformed. The gods are cast in our own image. They are our idealised projections, parts of ourselves projected into the skies and the underworld. They are representations of our own psyche. They are such stuff as dreams are made on. The 21st century seeks a spiritual vision and millions of individuals in the West look once again to the Orient, as they did also in the Roman Empire, or to other traditions to seek spiritual meaning. This is part of the great search of our times and will accelerate in the crises we now suffer. Indispensable to our times is psychological understanding, which has been enormously augmented during the 20th century and has now become part of the world psyche. Self-analysis, using the tools of depth psychology to understand our consciousness, our unconscious, the archetypes which influence us, the myths and ideologies that possess us, our emotions, sexuality, passions, complexes, addictions and obsessions, is indispensable to the modern psyche. At the centre of this is the eternal search for the soul. The psychology of Carl Gustav Jung will be core in this search. The evolution of life on Earth is the result of an extraordinarily finely tuned cosmos that has made this life, this consciousness, possible. We are the immensely fortunate inheritors of a cosmos which is infinite, ever-renewing, in a process of eternal creation and destruction. And this is our chance to honour that privilege. The podcast to come will unpack and explore all these issues. We need a renewed global vision 
to meet the needs of our time. You can help by deeply considering all these issues and also recommending this Quest podcast series to all serious-minded people that you know. For those who believe it is easy to criticise the system and point to doom and crisis, I assure you it is the Quest's mission to provide vision for the times to come. This involves responses at all levels, the collective, individual, spiritual and moral. For those of you who say this podcast sounds like the prophets of the Old Testament berating their kings and the people for having left the ways of God and predicting doom unless justice and spirit is returned, my answer is, well, yes, actually, that is quite close. This is our moment of truth. This is what the evolution of life and consciousness on this planet have led to after billions of years. Unless we meet it with the truth, we face the exit door.